if you could go ahead and open to Leviticus chapter 8. What we're not going to do is read through the entirety of the text, but some portions we will. And um, thank you so much for coming out. Um, pray the Lord would use this time to teach us more of who he is and his word, parts that we're familiar with, but that we become familiar with because the Lord has revealed himself in much about who he is in these ancient scriptures. But before we dive in, uh, would you join me as we go to the throne of grace? Father in heaven, thank you for uh, revealing who you are to us, giving us these words that are God-breathed, that are untainted by human folly. Uh, You've preserved it and kept it from any fault or failure. And we thank you that you've given it to us so that we might grow and that we might know you and live in your world the way you designed it, uh, loving one another and honoring you with every breath that we breathe. So teach us now through this book of Leviticus as we think upon who you are as you've revealed yourself in this text uh, as you guided the human author um, we need your help we need your spirit to open our eyes to see these truths and grace to apply it and uh, eyes to see Jesus as we think through it so we praise you and thank you for this time in Jesus name amen so to remind you of the theme of Leviticus which hopefully uh, can get ingrained in our, in our minds. Leviticus is about God graciously providing a way for sinful and corrupt people to live in his holy presence. We've already looked chapters 1 through 7, which are description of various offerings that are to be uh, presented before the Lord. And chapters 11 through 27 uh, mention various laws and rules for God's people. And in the middle of that is a, is a short narrative, chapters 8 through 10, that we get to look at tonight. And this narrative describes the ordination or the installation of the priesthood of Aaron and his sons in the first worship service in the tabernacle, the tent of meeting, where Yahweh is inviting his people to come near. And then we follow with an account of disobedience met by a fiery judgment as Jordan has already said is it is quite sobering well what is this priesthood all about this word priest in the Hebrew is Kohen can you repeat after me Kohen Kohen that's right what is a priest well priest is a mediator between Yahweh and humanity it's it's what he designed so that he could have fellowship with humans and in in our text in the Old Testament the first priests were, were Aaron and his sons. We see they come from the tribe of Levi, which Exodus 6.20 states. And they were to offer sacrifices to Yahweh on behalf of a people. The people couldn't just walk into the, the presence of the Lord and do what they wanted to do. There must be a mediator. This mediator's name, his title, I'm sorry, was a priest. But question, who was mediating between the priests and Yahweh prior to the installation in this section of Leviticus any idea Moses that's right so we see Moses is functioning as a priest before there's any official installation 
that we're going to get into that, that is set up. And so this narrative, chapters 8 through 10, presupposes a knowledge of Exodus 24 through 30 where Yahweh meets with Moses on Mount Sinai. And he gives them instructions of how God's people are to live their life. And it includes life in the tabernacle. It includes the priesthood. These chapters in Leviticus fulfill those commands that were given in Leviticus that you can read about. And towards the end of that section in Exodus, chapter 29, we see the consecration of the priest. And it's the very same things that we're reading about in Leviticus. And at the end of that chapter 29, Exodus 29, the Lord says, I will meet there with the sons of Israel, and it shall be consecrated by my glory. I will consecrate the tent of meeting and the altar. I will also consecrate Aaron and his sons to minister as priests to me. I will dwell among the sons of Israel and will be their God. And they shall know that I am Yahweh their God, who brought them out of the land of Egypt, that I might dwell among them. I am Yahweh their God. Something interesting that we're gonna that we see sprinkled throughout this section is a phrase, as the Lord command, or as the Lord spoke. It is a dominant phrase in these three chapters and it's roughly used 15 times but particularly striking when you get to chapter 10 verse 1 which I'll hold off on right now but God's people were to live by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord they were to be dependent upon his word guided by his word they were to be it was to orchestrate all that they did especially their form of worship which is crucial this Worship was not left up to custom or invention, but was issued by a particular divine command. So, if you're at chapter 8 in Leviticus, let's read the first few verses. Beginning in verse 1. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Take Aaron and his sons with him, and the garments, and the anointing oil, and the bull of the sin offering, and the two rams, and the basket of unleavened bread, and assemble all the congregation at the doorway of the tent of meeting. So Moses did just as the Lord commanded him. And when the congregation was assembled at the doorway of the tent of meeting, Moses said to the congregation, this is a thing which the Lord has commanded to do. So already two times we see that phrase, as the Lord commanded. So what do we have going on here? Well, they're gathering supplies of garments, anointing oil, sacrificial animals, and unleavened bread. And Moses is calling the congregation to the doorway of the tent of meeting. Do you recall Leviticus 1.1? The Lord called to Moses and spoke to him from the tent of meeting. You hear that? From the tent of meeting. Now they're preparing to enter into the tent of meeting to meet with Yahweh. Verses 6 through 13, we have a description of their attire and the anointing. Should we have a picture up here of what it would roughly look like? And we're not going to get into all the details of each piece and article of clothing, but these, this was for the high priest. It was for Aaron and his sons. They, were, they had a tunic, sash, robe, ephod, an artistic band, a breast piece, and a turban on their head. And something interesting on the turban, which you can see in the far left, there was a phrase engraven on that golden plate. 
And in Hebrew, it's Kodesh Le Yahweh, which means sacred or holy to the Lord. This, was, this, is, this is told to us in Exodus chapters 28 and 39 as it describes the priestly garments. But it's very important that this phrase was there on their heads because it symbolized that they were set apart for a sacred task. Now, there are other articles or objects in the scriptures, especially in Hebrew scriptures, that uh, are attached to this phrase, holy to the Lord. Some of those include a house, a field, days, Israel themselves, bells on horses, and cooking pots. So it sounds like a, ra- a random uh, object, a random list, but these were things that could be set apart for use of the Lord. So the purpose of the uniform, the outfit, it marked out again the significant role in the life of temple service. It drew attention to the office and emphasizes his job rather than the person's name. They knew it was Aaron, they knew it was the sons, but when they saw that outfit, it emphasized something unique, something special. The high priest was a sanctified person entirely devoted to sacred functions. Something interesting in Exodus 28:40. This phrase is is mentioned that this these garments they were for glory and for beauty. They represented the glory and beauty of the Lord. Because when you saw that, you saw the beauty that was there. And we can't see all the details, but for God's people Exodus says it's for glory and for beauty. And again, not everyone could wear these garments, but only those whom Yahweh chose and anointed for the task. Now, there was anointing oil used for the tabernacle and all that was in it and also the priests. Exodus 30, we have a description of the special recipe which was not to be used for any other purpose. Some of the ingredients include flowing myrrh, fragrant cinnamon, fragrant cane, cassia, and olive oil. So what's this purpose of oil? Well, you might, you might know this already. It was symbolically appointed certain things for a special task. So Moses in our text, he, he sprinkles oil on the altar seven times. The utensils, the basin, the stand, different utensils in the tent of meeting. But also Aaron's head. They poured oil on his head and it dripped down his body. And why did they do this? Verse 12 says... To consecrate him. What does this mean to consecrate? Again, it means to set apart for a holy or sacred task as opposed to a common or profane. It's placed in a totally different category from normal things. Kings were anointed with oil and priests were anointed with oil. It's these, this role is, is unique and it's set, it's set apart for something special. Well, moving right along in chapter 8, verses 14 through 17, we have uh, a, the sin offering that is, is offered, which was a bull, and Leviticus 4 describes the sin offering. Verses 18 through 21, the first ram, which was the burnt offering, and we see that described in Leviticus 1. Verses 23 through 29 was the second ram offered, and that was the ram of ordination. Now, something interesting about this, the ordination offering was that there was blood placed upon Aaron and his son's right ear 
the thumb on their right hand and the big toe on their right foot. And you might be saying, what in the world does that mean? Why? That's so random and weird. Well, <clears throat> the ESV study Bible would say that the, this constitutes a form of merism where the two extremities, the ear and the toe, of the body stand for the whole person. Thus, it symbolizes total dedication or purification. Gordon Winham, commentator, says that uh, this was to symbolize the intimate connection of the priesthood with the sacrifice, the body of the priest with the blood, the sacrifice. It is an example of a part standing for the whole. Also, the right-hand side, he says, was considered the more important and favored side interestingly which we'll get to later in Leviticus 14 this same procedure is enforced in the cleansing of lepers so interesting fact there now can anyone recall another time in Israel's past where blood was sprinkled or put upon people any guesses mouse that's right, Mount Sinai, Exodus 24. Yahweh is entering into covenant with his people. Moses actually takes blood from an animal and he sprinkles the people, throws blood on them. And so here we have another example of a covenant. The priests are entering into a covenant of service with Yahweh. And so the consecration takes place. Verses 30 through 36, Moses takes anointing oil and blood on the altar, sprinkles Aaron and his garments and their son's garments, boils the flesh of the animal and eats it with bread. They burn the leftovers in the fire, and guess what? They remain in the tent for seven days, and they keep the charge of the Lord so that they will not die, verse 35 says. For so I have commanded. Now, Anyone know what seven, the number seven stands for in the scriptures? Revelation may be fresh on your mind. Yeah, I just said completeness or fullness. That's right. So the idea of them staying in the tent for seven days, it pointed to the completeness of this ordination, of this installation. They were not to leave. They had clear instructions not to so that they wouldn't die. The end of verse 35 says, sounds pretty serious to me. Now, what were they doing within those seven days? Not real sure. Maybe they were offering these same rituals or the offerings day by day going through this practice. Maybe they were sitting and meditating upon what they were doing, about what they were entering into because they're preparing to offer the first worship service to Yahweh, which we enter into in chapter 9. But verse 36, Thus Aaron and his sons did all the things which the Lord had commanded through Moses. There's that phrase, all the Lord had commanded. So as we, um, as we, as a guide for our time tonight, I want to ask two questions. I want to look at, number one, though, I want to look at the content, which we just did in chapter 8. And the two questions I want to ask, number one, in each chapter, what did this mean to an ancient Israelite? I mean, that's important. We need to know what it meant for them back then, not just what it means for us today, because it, it was written to a people back then, and it had... Uh, it was vital for them to know what did all this mean. And so it meant something for them, to, for them to have it and to read about it and what happened. And so three things that I see in this text, that sinful humanity is separated from a holy God. That's one thing they would understand. 
because of sin and its pervasiveness, humanity is cut off from direct contact with Yahweh. They would clearly understand that a mediator is required to have fellowship with Yahweh. And when you draw near to worship him, not just anyone can approach this God whenever they'd like. These priestly garments, which we've kind of already pointed to, but for them, again, it would point to a special office that was a constant reminder of their need for this holy mediator. Lastly, spiritual worship must be governed by the word of Yahweh. Israel must orchestrate their spiritual worship around his word. And it cannot be done casually, but with utmost fear and respect for Yahweh. And for those who do treat it casually, you'll see what happens in chapter 10. So that's briefly what it meant for the ancient Israelite. What does it mean for us today? Well, it's quite similarly the same things. (laughs) Uh, But some scripture I want to read. Hebrews, that's very, very crucial for us. Now, Hebrews tells us that there's an anointing that has taken place that supersedes any prior anointings. Hebrews chapter 1 says, The oil of gladness was poured upon one man, the Son of Man, Jesus. In Hebrews chapter 7, just listen to these these scriptures. Hebrews chapter 7, Now, if perfection was through the Levitical priesthood, For on the basis of it, the people received the law. What further need was there for another priest to arise according to the order of Melchizedek and not be designated according to the order of Aaron? For when the priesthood is changed of necessity, there takes place a change of law also. For the one concerning whom these things are spoken belongs to another tribe from which no one has officiated at the altar. For it is evident that our Lord was descended from Judah, a tribe with reference to which Moses spoke nothing concerning priests. And this is clearer still. If another priest arises according to the likeness of Melchizedek, who has become such not on the basis of a law of physical requirement, but according to the power of an indestructible life, for it is attested of him, of Jesus, you are a priest forever according to to the order of Melchizedek. Verses 23, the former priests, on the one hand, existed in greater numbers because they were prevented by death from continuing. But Jesus, on the other hand, because he continues forever, holds his priesthood permanently. Therefore, he is able also to save forever those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. For it was fitting for us to have such a high priest, holy innocent, undefiled, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens, who does not need daily, like those high priests, to offer up sacrifices. First for his own sins, which we'll see, Aaron had to do that. First for his own sins, and then for the sins of the people. Because this he did once for all when he offered up himself. For the law appoints men as high priests who are weak. But the word of the oath, which came after the law, appoints a son made perfect forever. Last one in Hebrews, chapter 9, verses 6 through 12. Now, when these things have been so prepared, the priests are continually entering the outer tabernacle, performing the divine worship. But into the second, only the high priest enters once a year, but not without taking blood, which he offers for himself and for the sins of the people committed in ignorance. 
The Holy Spirit is signifying this, that the way into the holy place has not yet been disclosed while the outer tabernacle is still standing, which is a symbol for the present time. Accordingly, both gifts and sacrifices are offered, which cannot make the worshiper perfect in conscience, since they relate only to food and drink and various washings, regulations for the body imposed until a time of reformation. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things to come, he entered through the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this creation, and not through the blood of goats and calves, but through his own blood. He entered the holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. So <laughs> this is our mediator. This is our great high priest. It's Jesus, and he is one forever. So praise the Lord that we see that our, because of our sin, we're separated from a holy God, and he's provided, like he provided for Israel, a priest for them, Aaron and his sons, he has provided for us a much greater priest. Well, let's press on to chapter 9. Now it came about, verse 1, on the eighth day. How long have they been in the tabernacle? How long were Aaron and the priest to be in the tabernacle? Seven days. So here we go. Next day, it came about on the eighth day that Moses called Aaron and his sons and the elders of Israel. He said to Aaron, take for yourself a calf, a bull for a sin offering, and a ram for a burnt offering, both without defect, and offer them before the Lord. Then to the sons of Israel you shall speak, saying, Take a male goat for a sin offering, and a calf, and a lamb, both one year old without defect, for a burnt offering, and an ox, and a ram for peace offerings, to sacrifice before the Lord, and a grain offering mixed with oil. For today the Lord will appear to you. If you skip down to verse 9, This is the thing which the Lord has commanded you to do, that the glory of the Lord may appear to you. So, here we go. Showtime, baby. It's the eighth day of their seven days of consecration in the tent of meeting. Aaron presents the first sacrifices on the altar in the performance of sacrificial worship on behalf of himself and the people of Israel, and, they are, and the sacrifices are accepted by Yahweh by a public blazing display of approval. This is the content of Leviticus chapter 9. So Moses is instructed to, to take all these offerings, these animals, and to prepare the offerings before the Lord. And so like the ESV study Bible says, the atonement process moves from removing sinfulness by the sin offering to underscoring their petitions and praises, or both, by the burnt offering, and finally to communion by the peace offering, if you, if you heard all three of those offerings. But why in the world do this? says, verse 4, for today Yahweh will appear to you. The glory of Yahweh is coming and the main purpose of this celebration is worshiping of him. They were to make atonement for themselves, the priests were, so that the people might be in appropriate condition to meet Yahweh. So why would Aaron have to do it for himself though? I mean, isn't he already set apart? He's got the turban with holy to the Lord. Why would Aaron have to make the sacrifice for himself as it's described? Well, it would publicly display his own sinfulness <laughs> and his own need for forgiveness, which was important. So, what an anticipation. 
Have you ever anticipated meeting someone that you highly value and respect? I mean, maybe you get goosebumps or butterflies. I mean, it's, it's quite an anticipation. They were to make atonement to prepare to meet the Lord. So, as he, it says that he, he, he provided, he, he provides the offering of a calf. Now, here's another quiz. Can you think of another time in Israel's history when Aaron encountered a calf? Ding, 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 golden calf. Foster's on top of it, I'm telling y'all. Uh, the golden calf incident, that's right. Now, do you think he ever forgot that? No, Moses was pretty heated when he came down off the mountain. Probably not. But now he's, he's instead, of, instead of worshiping these animals, he's slaughtering these animals so that he might be prepared to meet the one true God, the, the true redeemer who rescued them out of Egypt. So he offers animals for himself, then he offers for the people. In verses 22 through 24, it says, Then Aaron lifted up his hands towards the people, and he blessed them. Now this probably came from Numbers, 20, Numbers chapter 6, I'm sorry which is the famous blessing the Lord bless you and keep you, make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. That blessing, I mean, you say that's what he blessed, that's what he pronounced among the people. It says that he blessed them and he stepped down after making the sin offering and the burnt offering and the peace offering. Verse 23 of chapter 9, Moses and Aaron went into the tent of meeting. They have now entered in. When they came out and blessed the people again, the glory of Yahweh appeared to all the people. Then fire came out from before the Lord and consumed the burnt offering and the portions of fat on the altar. And when all the people saw it, they shouted and fell on their faces. So what has appeared to the people? Glory. The glory of Yahweh. This word glory is kavod. Can everyone say kavod? Kavod. So Kohen kavod, you got two Hebrew words for tonight. This word is a, means a manifestation of honor, wealth, splendor, power, this glorious presence of Yahweh. Now, had the people seen this presence before, this manifestation of the glory of the Lord? Had they seen it before? Yeah, they, they, they had seen this before. Remember the pillar of fire and the cloud? Exodus 16.10 says that it came about as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the sons of Israel that they looked towards the wilderness and behold, the kavod of Yahweh appeared in the cloud, the glory of the Lord. Again in Exodus 40, it says the cloud covered the tent of meeting and the kavod of Yahweh, the glory of the Lord, filled the tabernacle. This wasn't their first rodeo. They had seen this glory. And the climactic event happens in verse 24. Yahweh's consuming inferno, his presence. He is here. He comes down and consumes the offering. This is the best image I could find to represent what might have happened there. Just to give us at least a visual. Now Exodus 24, he had, he had promised that he was going to come. I'm sorry, that's Exodus 29. Exodus 24 says, The glory of the Lord rested on Mount Sinai, and the cloud covered it for six days. And on the seventh day, Yahweh called to Moses from the midst of the cloud, and to the eyes of the sons of Israel, the appearance 
of the kavod of Yahweh was like a consuming fire on the mountaintop. Again, this was something else they had seen before. Fire from the sky. They had experienced it. Now, what do you suppose their reaction was? Huh? You think they were excited? Woohoo! Bonfire, baby! We're about to marshmallows and hot dogs. Huh? I don't think so. What does it say? When all the people saw it, they shouted and fell on their faces. Some translations would say they, they include joy in that phrase. I, I don't think that's appropriate. I think it's more of a fearful, we are deathly afraid of what has happened, what is happening right now. No, they weren't singing kumbaya around a fire. They were terrified at the presence of Yahweh. This was a holy moment, and they knew there was something unique about this being that was unlike anything else that they had encountered. And they're forced to the ground to pay homage to this God. Okay, so chapter 9. What did this mean to the ancient Israelites? Same questions. Well, obedience to Yahweh's word was met with blessing of Yahweh's presence. Now, they were fearful of this fire that came and consumed the offering, but it, this was not a, an act of judgment. This was an act of God responding in favor because they had obeyed the Lord in his command. So he was showing up. This was just his, a manifestation of his glory and his majesty and his awesomeness. Now, we will see a manifestation of fire connected to judgment, but that's not what's happening here this is his divine presence coming and it comes when God's people respond through obedience to his divine command Aaron and them had done everything he said and guess what he kept his promise to meet with his people like he had said in Exodus 29 I will meet there with the sons of Israel and it shall be consecrated by my kavod by my glory guess what happened what appeared the glory of the Lord appeared. He fulfilled his word that he said he was going to do. So secondly, firstly, the obedience to Yahweh's word is met with his blessing. Secondly, Yahweh, this consuming fire image, he's a transcendent being. Again, he's, he's unlike anything we've ever seen. His glory is all full it's full of awe and it necessitates an appropriate response they were forced to the ground i mean it was automatic they didn't decide in their mind well i'm going to fall to the ground i mean it just they were leveled at his presence at his awesomeness and his greatness he was communicating i'm much bigger i'm much more great than you could ever i'm greater than you could ever imagine so what does it mean for us today? Well, again, obedience to God's word is met with the blessing of God's presence. When, when we obey God's word, we can expect to enjoy the fulfillment of his promises. Now, it's not, he's not sitting around waiting on us. He's going to fulfill his promises, but we must be a people who live, who walk faithfully in obedience to him if we want to expect to have his nearness, to have him draw near because of his untainted presence he, he cannot let sin slide and, and, and also a proper response to seeing the glory of God like them 
It's, it's, it's whole worship, a totality of our life in worship to him. The greatness of God cannot be ignored. Two references, 1 Peter 2.5, uh, Peter tells the, the church, you also as living stones are being built up. Hear this temple language. You're built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. You hear the priesthood, sacrifices, acceptable to God. And and then in Hebrews 12, Therefore, since we receive a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us show gratitude by which we may offer to God an acceptable service with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. That's right. Similar language. Sacrificial language. Offer, acceptable sacrifice, reverence, all consuming fire. We see all that here in Leviticus. And it relates to us as well. We are a priesthood. We do offer up sacrifices to God. It comes through the person of Jesus. Well, that's the end of chapter 10, 9. Let's, let's finish up, wrap it up in chapter 10. Now, Nadab and Abihu. Those are popular names in church history. The sons of Aaron took their respective fire pans and after putting fire in them, placed incense on it and offered strange fire before the Lord. Here it is. Which he had commanded. Is that what it says? Nope. Which he had not commanded. He had not commanded them to do that. And verse 2, fire came out from the presence of the Lord and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. Then Moses said to Aaron, hey, it is what the Lord spoke, saying, by those who come near me, I will be treated as holy, and before all the people, I will be honored. So, just as the fire, we just saw the fire of approval in chapter 9, verse 25. Now, that same fire of approval becomes the fire of disapproval. Fire of blessing, now we see fire of judgment. God is releasing judgment upon these leaders of Israel, these priests. They offer, it's, the text says, strange fire. Other, other versions say alien fire. The ESV, NIV says unauthorized. The RSV, unholy. The New King James Version, profane. The New Living Translation, a different kind of fire. So they take their fire pans, they put fire in it, they place incense on it and offer to the Lord. But guess what? He had not commanded it. Aaron's response, verse 3. Then of verse 3. So Aaron, therefore kept silent so what is this strange fire what well there's exodus chapter 30 verse 9 they were commanded it says you shall not offer strange incense on this altar but but what does all this mean well there are several interpretations that i've come across number one they they brought unauthorized coals inside the sanctuary which came from a normal oven and not from the sacrificial altar like they were instructed number two They ventured too far into the innermost section of the sanctuary. Number three, they used the wrong kind of incense that wasn't prescribed. And number four, they performed at an unprescribed time. So they just went in there when they wanted to. So those are some interpretations to what this all means. 
What we do know, clearly what it means is that the Lord had not commanded it to be done. And if he does not command you to do something, you better take heed and not do it. For you will be met with his fiery judgment. So, the Lord, in, in Leviticus 16, if we look forward, it says that the Lord spoke to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron. This event right here. When they had approached the presence of the Lord and died. And the Lord said to Moses, Tell your brother Aaron that he shall not enter at any time into the holy place inside the veil before the mercy seat, which is on the ark, or he will die. That's why some would say they probably they might have ventured too far than they were supposed to. They're clearly, he's clearly told in Leviticus 16, do not venture into this holy place inside the veil or you'll die. Clearly commanded by the Lord. Well, there's another incident, there's another scene in Israel's history of fire coming to an act of judgment, and that's number 16, the sons of Korah. When they rebelled against Yahweh and Moses, which was Israel's leader, they were challenging his leadership, complaining, murmuring, and they envied his position. Well, without reading into it, something that we see there in that text, which was involved, the same, some of the similar things were involved, was incense in an altar. But it says that fire came and destroyed people because they disobeyed the Lord. So what's the point of all this? This account of Nadab and Abihu is to show that disregards to God's holiness and disobedience to his word will be met with severe judgment. Again, disregard to God's holiness and disobedience to his word will be met with severe judgment. Man, why, can't he just lighten up? <laughs> I mean, what's the deal, Lord? Well, he says in verse 3, I warned you, by those who come near me, I will be treated as holy. And guess what? The priests, they came nearer to the Lord than anyone else. He says, I will be treated as holy. And before all the people, I will be honored. And so guess what? Some had to be made an example more than others. They, they tested Yahweh. They did not consider his holiness like he had just revealed his holiness. They were treating it as a light thing rather than a heavy thing. Kavod. That word kavod, glory, can also mean heavy. They didn't consider his holiness. It's just the word kadesh, kadesh. It means holy. It comes from the denominative word, verb kodesh. But it means to be set apart or consecrated and sanctified. Something that the priests were to, to be set apart for. Exodus 19, the Lord says, hear this. He says, let the priests who come near to the Lord consecrate themselves or else the Lord will break out against them. Sounds like what happened, right? Chapter 10, let them consecrate themselves before me. If not, the Lord will break out against them. So Moses calls Aaron's relatives to carry the bodies outside the camp because Aaron and his other sons had been uh, anointed. They were they were in they were uh, they were prepared to for the for the sacrifices, and it was not appropriate for them to touch dead corpses. That would make them unclean. They couldn't defile themselves that way. 
Moses tells Aaron, do not mourn for them. Do not uncover your heads. Do not tear your clothes. Your, the people, the sons of Israel, shall mourn on Aaron's behalf for what the Lord has done. Sounds pretty harsh. Man can't even carry his own sons out. What well, Jewish scholar Levin says that their sanctification took precedence. They were holy. They were, they were sacred position right now before the Lord, and they could not defile themselves. Well, it says that Aaron would, was, was to obey the Lord so that he would not die. Where's that at? Verse 6. Do not uncover your heads or tear your clothes so that you will not die and that he, the Lord, will not become wrathful against all the congregation. So it's very serious. Verses 8 through 11, the Lord spoke to Aaron. Moving on. He, says, he said, do not drink wine or strong drink, neither you nor your sons with you, when you come into the tent of meeting, so that you will not die. It is a perpetual statute throughout your generations and so as to make a distinction between the holy and the profane and between the unclean and the clean and so as to teach the sons of Israel all the statutes which the Lord has spoken to them through Moses. So there's this prohibition of drinking wine, strong drink when you enter into the tent of meeting. Some commentators also say that the sons uh, participated in drinking alcohol and that's why they were judged and that's why they're now given this command not to do this. Um, possible, it's possible, but we're told that this is a perpetual state or an ordinance or a permanent law. This is seen as a sort of a pivotal clause, this perpetual statute not to drink alcohol when ministering in the tabernacle, but it was also a perpetual statute to distinguish between the holy and the profane. This was the job of the priests to distinguish between the clean and unclean so that they would teach Israel all the statutes. Now this is, this is key to the priest's job. They were to teach God's people there's a clear distinction between holy and profane things. Sailhammer, another Old Testament scholar, would say that the overall lesson of this narrative in Leviticus plays an important role in the delineating ongoing responsibility of Aaron's priesthood. And that would be discerning between the holy and profane the clean and the unclean. This was an ongoing responsibility for the priests. Now hear this. Not, not all the priests obeyed the Lord in, the, in Israel's history. We have, there's two accounts that I was able to come across of priests who did not obey. And guess what happens to them? In Malachi chapter 2, verses 1 through 9. Now this commandment is for you, O priests. If you do not listen, and if you do not take it to heart to give honor to my name, says the Lord of hosts, then I will send the curse upon you, and I will curse your blessings, and indeed I have cursed them already, because you are not taking it to heart. Behold, I'm going to rebuke your offspring, and I will spread refuse on your faces, the refuse of your feasts, and you will be taken away with it. Then you will know that I have sent this commandment to you, that my covenant may continue with Levi, says the Lord of hosts. My covenant with him was one of life and peace, and I gave them to him as an object of reverence. So he revered me and stood, awe, stood in awe of my name. True instruction was in his mouth, and unrighteousness was not found in his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness, and he turned many back from iniquity. 
For the lips of a priest should preserve knowledge, and men should seek instruction from his mouth, for he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. Hear this. But as for you, he's talking to the priests, unfaithful priests, you have turned aside from the way. You have caused many to stumble by the instruction. You have corrupted the covenant of Levi, says the Lord of hosts. You have cor- Sorry, um, you have corrupted the covenant of Levi, says the Lord of hosts. So I also have made you despised and abased before all the people, just as you are not keeping my ways, but are showing partiality in the, in the instruction. And then Ezekiel 22, uh, the Lord says, Her priests have done violence to my law, and they have profaned my holy things. They have made no distinction distinction between the holy and the profane they have not taught the difference between the unclean and the clean and they hide their eyes from my sabbaths and i am profaned among them clear rebellion against what he had told them to do in this section of leviticus chapter 10 their instructions to teach god's people well verse 12 through 15 they they eat a sacrificial meal in a holy place Verses 16 through 20, Moses gets angry over the goat or sin offering that was being burnt up versus being eaten by Aaron. And Aaron, Aaron gives a response like, man, it's been a rough day. It's been it's, it's this kind of day that we've had. I didn't think it would be honoring to the Lord. I didn't, he says at the end of verse 20, would it have been good in the sight of the Lord? And then it says Moses heard that and it seemed good in his sight. So Moses, Moses was satisfied with Aaron's response in light of all that had gone on. But what is the main point? Leviticus 10, verse 3. By those who come near to me, the Lord says, I will be treated as holy. And before all the people, I will be honored. This is a theme constantly spread throughout the scriptures in their narrative. Leviticus 22, the Lord says, You shall not profane my holy name. I will be sanctified among the sons of Israel. I am the Lord who sanctifies you. Numbers 20, when Moses was instructed to speak to the rock and to bring water from the rock so the congregation should drink, Moses took the rod instead and he struck the rock. And because he disobeyed the Lord, he says in, verse, in, in that chapter, because you have not believed me, says the Lord, to treat me as holy in the sight of the sons of Israel, therefore you shall not bring this assembly into the land which I have given them. Because he disobeyed, he didn't listen to the word, he didn't consider me, Lord, the verse says, to treat me as holy, he did not get to enter into the land. He was punished. Even Moses, God's leader. So, what did this mean to the ancient Israelite? Chapter 10. Well, Yahweh is serious about his glory before the presence of God entered the tabernacle with sinful humans present extreme care had to be exercised to protect it from impurity and this protection this role was given to the priests they were to present they were to protect and guard the temple from the profane and these two Nadab and Abihu they weren't doing that they didn't protect it and God does not play around when it comes to his glory and his holiness. He says his people will be, treated, will be holy, and he will be treated as holy. See, they tried to meet with the Lord on their terms, but he said, nope, ain't happening. This meeting happens on my terms, and I'm going to show you what's going to happen if you refuse to comply. Baruch Levin is, is a, a Jewish scholar. He wrote a commentary, a JPS commentary series. 
And he says that priests who adhere to the regulations of their office and protect the purity of the sanctuary sanctify God. And in turn, the sanctuary is favored by God's presence. When, as happened in this case, they flout God's will, he exercises his punitive power, compelling all to recognize his authority. God always emerges triumphant, for he will not allow his sanctity to be compromised. So if God's leaders, these priests, met with God's with such strict judgment, they also knew, wow, we definitely will, will receive judgment if we do not honor the word of the Lord. How much more if they disobey? So, again, the purpose of these narratives is to show the vital importance of obeying God's commands and the intense judgment that results from violating his word. If you disregard Yahweh's command, it will be met with judgment. Very quickly, what does this mean for us today? Well, judgment is not far when the Lord is not feared. I mean, sin deserves judgment. We know this. We see this. It's clear. And those who are close to the Lord ought to take sin seriously and not play with it, not toy with it. We will not experience the blessed presence of God's favor if we continually live in disobedience to his word. And then secondly, we're all considered to be priests. The instructions at the end of chapter 10 1 Peter 2.9, Revelation 1.6 tells us that the New Testament people of God, we're all priesthood. We have the same calling as Aaron and, his, and the priesthood did in Leviticus, the calling to make a distinction between the holy and the profane, the clean and the unclean, to live in a way as different from the earth dwellers. You see, the gospel transforms our hearts and our minds, and we get the privilege of loving one another and teaching one another the statutes of the Lord so that we continue to follow Christ in obedience to his word. And we wrap up with a fundamental difference between an ancient Israelite and us today is our relation to Jesus Christ. Jesus, the Messiah, is our perfect priest, sacrifice, cleansing, temple, and the manifestation of God's presence. He alone perfectly achieved Yahweh's design for humans to dwell securely in God's presence. So praise the Lord. Sorry, that was a lot. I know. Thank you for listening.